0: You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth
1: from his word today. Take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. As my girls were singing that song, my mind reflected back to several years ago as we were taking our annual trip to the Philippines and we had landed in Narita and we were headed to Manila. It's about a three and a half hour trip and I always take the aisle. never like to sit in the center or the window. I always try to get an aisle seat but for some reason I wasn't able to get an aisle seat on that flight and <clears throat> Joel Nelson was on my left and I was in the middle and there was another gentleman on my right and so we engaged in conversation and uh, he was a businessman and uh, asked us what we were doing and shared that with him and the Lord just opened wide the door for me to share the gospel and uh, so I began to share the gospel with this gentleman his heart was open Someone must have shared the gospel with him before. I don't know, but his heart was open, and he began to share with me some of the sins that he had been involved in. I'm going to be very honest with you. I have never, in my knowledge, been that close in proximity to such an evil, wicked man. I actually had to tell him, "Please, just I don't want to hear any more." But he was sharing all that with me as he kept asking me the question, can God forgive me of this? Could God ever forgive me of this? And some of the heinous sins that he was involved in were literally unbelievable. And I'm so thankful I could say to him, Jesus can forgive you of anything. And I kept quoting, if you'll confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I had him read that verse over and over again. And after a couple of hours, I asked him, I said, Would you like to right now ask the Lord Jesus come in your heart and save you? He goes, Yes, I would. And there on the plane, 30,000 feet in the air, he prayed and asked the Lord Jesus to save him. He looked up at me after he had prayed that prayer. And this is what he said. He goes, I feel so clean on the inside. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, listen very carefully to the message that I will preach today. Hebrews chapter 2. Beginning. I'm going to jump around a little bit I guess for time's sake, but let's look at verse 3. How shall we escape? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Christ. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Describe salvation for us. It's great. Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them. That heard him. Now, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for suffering and death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, it is by the grace of God and the grace of God alone that we are saved. That by the grace of God should taste death for who? Every man. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things to bring many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Thank God for our captain. Verse 14 for as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood he the Lord Jesus also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had power over death and that is the devil and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage are you afraid to die? I want you to stop and seriously Consider that question this morning. Whether you're here lost without Christ, you don't know where you will spend eternity, or whether or not you are a believer in Christ, right now, are you afraid to die? If God were to call you home today, is there an element of fear in your heart about facing God? The Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, and wise old Solomon said these words, that God is, have set eternity in man's heart. In every man's heart, God has set the concept of eternity. Most people, if they would be honest, a lot of people aren't, but if most people would be honest, they do fear death. And in order to deal with that fear, they embrace what I will call false narratives. They embrace false ideas, they embrace false reports, they embrace false stories and false accounts and they embrace false doctrine. They embrace false narratives. Let me share with you some of the narratives that are embraced by those who God has put eternity in their heart and they've thought about it and they've embraced these false ideas or these false doctrines. One is, you know what, there is no life after death. We are just a product of evolution. We are nothing more than a higher species of animal and there is no death. We live, we die, and that's it. I want you to understand something, that is a false narrative. But evolution teaches us that. And every day is teaching our children that in our public schools. Then there's the false narrative that, you know what, everyone when they die goes to heaven. That's not true either. Then there's the false narrative, a loving God would never send anyone to hell. Have you ever heard that one? Then there's the false narrative that many would say, well, there is no hell. This is a figment of your imagination. Hell does not exist. Then there's the false narrative. You know, as long as you try to be a good person, God will accept that, and you know the good outweighs the bad, and you'll eventually end up in heaven if you're a good person. Then there's the doctrine of the Seventh-day Adventist, who believe that the faithful, upon death, will enter into what they call soul sleep, You die and you just go to sleep, waiting until the day of resurrection. When you will then be resurrected and uh, the believing will go to heaven and the unbelieving will go to hell and there in hell they'll just simply be annihilated and there's no eternal existence in hell whatsoever. I remember having some conversation with a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Some of you may remember years ago when we... We're first starting the church and we were looking for a place to worship on one Sunday. We met in a Seventh-day Adventist church because they don't use it on Sunday. They use their church on Saturday. And so uh, we used their church. That was only one Sunday, by the way. Uh, there, I'll tell you, I, I'll never forget. There was just something wrong about being in that church. There really was. It was just an oppressive service. And I said, well, we can't be here. But I remember talking to that pastor and fellowshipping with that pastor. He said, I want you to understand something, Dan. He said, we believe in a hotter hell than you do. I said, what? He goes, yeah, we believe when someone dies without Christ, they go to hell and they're just annihilated. You believe they're just going to burn forever. We believe in a hotter hell than you do. Well, that's a Seventh-day Adventist doctrine. Then there's the doctrine of Buddhism and Hinduism. They're kind of really the same when you look right at it, and they believe in that whole concept of reincarnation. You know, you just try to be the best person that you can be in this life and then you will be reincarnated into a higher life form. If you're a bad person, you'll be reincarnated into a lower life form. That's just stupidity. How many of you here have ever heard of limbo? Most people have no idea where that idea of limbo comes from, but it comes from the Catholic Church and one of their uh, made-up theologies. And limbo and the Catholic doctrine is that unbaptized souls, innocent souls such as infants who have not yet been baptized or virtuous individuals who lived before the time of Christ on earth or those who have died before they've had, had opportunity to be baptized into the Roman Catholic Church will not exist in heaven and they'll not exist in hell, but they will exist forever in this place called limbo. And that's where we get the idea of limbo from. Can I tell you something? There's no limbo in the Bible. That is a false narrative. Then there's the Catholic doctrine of purgatory. Have you ever heard of purgatory? I was talking to Brother Gutlai, who was one of our missionaries from Thailand and He was raised in the Philippines and he was Roman Catholic. Before he got saved, he goes, every every Roman Catholic in the uh, Philippines believes in purgatory. It's a Catholic church doctrine. It is the belief that all those who die in God's grace and friendship but still imperfectly purified are indeed assured of eternal salvation but only after they undergo purification in this place called purgatory. There in purgatory, they can achieve a level of holiness so that they can enter into heaven's glory. So he said, every Roman Catholic in the Philippines believes that when they die, because, I mean, who has reached that state of sinless perfection? they all believe that they will go to purgatory." And this is what he said, this is a former Roman Catholic, he said that was just a scheme by the Roman Catholic Church in order to bring more money into the church because you can actually, someone in this life can pay the priest to pray for you and shorten your stay in purgatory. This is a false narrative. There is no limbo, there is no purgatory. It's Islam. Let me give you a false narrative in Islam. How many have ever heard of the concept of the 72 virgins, an aspect of paradise? This concept is taught in the Quran, which describes a very sensual paradise for faithful, believing, commandment-keeping men who have embraced the doctrine of Islam. And especially if they give their life as a martyr for Islam. This is what is behind ISIS. Especially if they give their life, then they are guaranteed in paradise to be given 72 beautiful virgins that they'll be able to marry once they get to their paradise. Conversely, faithful women will be provided with only one man. And this is what it says, and they will be satisfied with him. (laughs) Seventy-two to one, that doesn't, that doesn't sound fair to me. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, who in the world would want seventy-two wives for all of eternity? Come on, give me an amen, guys. So maybe the women in Islam do end up on the better end of that deal. Listen, that's a false narrative, it's a false doctrine. Then you have the teachings of the Jehovah's Witness. How many ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to your door? You know why they're coming to your door? Because they're trying to become one of the 144,000 that will inherit paradise. And that's it. Only 144,000 will make it. So they are in continual competition trying to become one of the 144,000. I'm thankful that heaven is open to whosoever will may come. And we're not in some competition to become one of the 144 because I guarantee you I would lose. And so would you. Then there's the the Mormon narrative, where they believe in three heavens and one hell. The three heavens are ranked from the most holy to the least by degrees of glory. The third heaven, which is the most desirable, is the celestial kingdom, which serves as a destination for all those who are baptized within the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day saints and remain faithful Mormons throughout their lives. Those who attain this highest degree within Mormonism become gods. That's Mormon teaching. They become gods in the afterlife. They can marry and have children in heaven. They even will be given their own planet where they will become god and there they will reign as kings in their own kingdom. That's a false narrative. I quote from Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. We do not believe that hell is a place where the wicked are being burned forever. Mormons believe that hell is a spirit prison of total darkness, a holding tank for souls of the wicked. Here they remain until the end of the millennium when they will be resurrected and judged. Those who failed to prove themselves worthy of the celestial reward of the celestial heaven will return again to their prison of darkness. They will remain in that condition until they are visited by some servant of God who will unlock the prison doors to them and once again preach to them the gospel of salvation. I'm here to tell you there is no second chance to be saved after death. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's no second chance of salvation after death. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This past Friday we celebrated Maria's homegoing. So delighted to be a part of that celebration, it was a precious time, and sorry about the loss of your grandmother and your mother. But as I brought a portion of that funeral message, I took them to Luke chapter 12, and I want to return there today. Let's go to Luke chapter 12, and I want you to look at verse 13 through verse 21. Here we find a parable given to us by our Lord of a man who was not prepared to die. He was so focused on life and so focused on living and so focused on material things that he wasn't prepared to face eternity. And the truth is, listen to me church, this is the truth, this is the absolute truth. We are so caught up in the affairs of this life that we seldom think about the reality of eternity, and eternity is not a false narrative. The Bible says, lay up not for yourselves treasures upon earth. We're all engaged in doing that, every one of us. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. We do everything we could do to try to keep the moths out and to keep the rust off. But the moth and the rust will corrupt the things that we have in this temporal life. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt and where thieves do not, cannot break through and steal. Listen, for where your treasure is, where is your treasure, where is your investment, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Most of us, the honest truth of it is our treasures are all wrapped up in this life and not in eternity. And it's not until we have a funeral service that we are absolutely forced. We are forced to think about eternity. It is appointed unto man once to die. You are going to die. Stop and think about eternity. Where will you spend eternity? Is there any element of fear in your heart? Here was a man that came to the Lord Jesus. Beginning in verse 13. Verse 21 just let me tell you the story for time's sake he comes to lord jesus he said lord jesus will you speak with my brother that he will divide the inheritance with me obviously their father had passed away and the inheritance had to be divided isn't it a shame when a mother father passes away and children are then fighting over the stuff You all know we had to go through some decontamination of our home because of mold and everything we had in our attic. Uh, Daniel cut a big hole in our attic and we pulled a dumpster up and everything we had in our attic we had to throw away. We probably threw $10,000, $12,000 worth of items away. Our attic is a big walk-in attic and that's where we stored everything. For my sake of my wife's health, we just had to throw everything away. I want to tell you something, that was painful. Everything was gone. And as we were throwing these things away, Ben was taking some pictures because we were hoping our insurance would help cover, which they're not. But when Ben was taking pictures of things we were throwing away, and he said, Boy, I'm so glad we're doing this now because if you and Mom died, then we'd be left to do this. (laughs) Throwing them off the roof. (laughs) <laughs> so we determined we're not leaving anything for our kids to fight over <laughs> speak to my brother Jesus said something like this he said man man who made me a judge or divider over you now Jesus could have equally have divided that inheritance no problem he was wise enough to do that he's God But then he looks at that young man and he said, here's the issue. The issue is your heart. Man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Do you understand that, young man? And as you begin to think, that's how we as Americans think. That life consists of the things that we have. Of the investments that we have. Of the money that we have. Of the jobs that we have. Of the home that we have. The cars that we drive. Stuff. That's how we think. So Jesus said man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Young man, you listen to me. Beware of covetousness. Then he told the story about how a farmer... Planted a crop and he, God blessed the crop and he tore down his old barns and built bigger barns. And he didn't have wherewithal to bestow all the fruits of all of his goods, of all of his stuff. And he said, this will I do. I will tear down my old barns and I will build bigger barns. And there I will bestow all the fruits of my labor. And I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Really? There's one thing he forgot about. Eternity and God said, you're a fool. Tonight you're going to die tonight. Tonight your life is going to be required of you. Then who shall all of these things belong to that you possess? You know what, if I had the gift of prophecy and I could come to you and walk around the auditorium here and Tell you when you're going to die. Do I remember when Melanie and I sat back here in the back? Melanie was crying, I was trying to comfort her. I mean, you were close to death. I seriously thought you were going die. thought you'd never get a kidney, and if you were too sick to get a kidney, that would never happen. Your wife was crying. Hey, Does it you feel good? <laughs> <laughs> About it, didn't we Mel? But you didn't die. But you're going to. Yes. <laughs> Why? Well, she's, she's laughing now. <laughs> but Joe if I could tell you tonight you're going to die. Or Phil if I tell you tonight you're going to die. or Dale tonight you're going to die. I guarantee you all three of you guys would live differently for the rest of this day. Behold, what is our life? It's but a vapor that appears for a little season, and then it vanisheth away. Love not this world, neither neither the things. This young man loved things. Have you ever noticed the more things you have, the more things you have to worry about? Have you ever noticed that? The more things you have to take care of, am I telling you the truth right now? (laughs) Then you go over to the third world countries where they don't have anything and they're just as happy as can be. Go figure. Go to now. You say that today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year. And we will buy and we will sell and we will get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? My mother always had a tea kettle. The whistling tea kettle. Sitting on the stove. And I grew up every morning hearing that tea kettle whistle. And so many mornings my mom would say to me, Danny, go turn the teapot off. And I'd go and I'd turn the teapot off and the whistle would go That's our life. Jesus said the cares of this world. Here, here's what's going to happen today. I'm going to teach about this and what the Bible says about it and what Jesus tells us about it and we're all going to sit here and say absolutely I got too much stuff I'm, I'm, I'm just consumed with the things and the cares of this world I'm going to get focused on eternity and we're going to walk out the doors and we're going to forget everything the preacher just said. And we're going to get caught back up in the affairs of this life. The cares of this world The deceitfulness of riches. Man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. The deceitfulness of riches. It chokes the word. It chokes the word. (laughs) Hi, <laughs> and we become unfruitful you know how many decisions we make in life are based upon the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches that do absolutely nothing but choke off the effectual working of God's word in our lives and we become unfruitful watch out watch out the book of Colossians the Apostle Paul says to us set your affections on things above not on the things of this earth and I mentioned this at the funeral on Friday I believe with all my heart that the most difficult thing for us to do is get our focus off of the temporal, the temporary, and on to the eternal. Would you agree? Say amen. amen. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter four, I'll begin with verse eighteen. While we look not on the things which are seen. Look we'll at your focus on that. While we look not upon the things which are seen, but on the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? Temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if we know, you should know, I hope you know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, if we were to die, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Something far better awaits us. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. This morning, I'm taking the garbage out, I'm all dressed, I'm ready to go to church, you know we had the extra hour, you got an extra hour of sleep, so you shouldn't be falling asleep. But some of you say, no, it's my nap time now. <laughs> but Alyssa comes out and she said, dad, dad, you got to come in. Mom's laying on the bathroom floor. I can't get her out. So I go in and Alyssa and I, my wife, she is out. She is like passed out on the floor in the bathroom and we're trying I mean, my wife isn't a big woman, but that was like dead weight trying to get my wife up and try to get her back into bed. The Bible says we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. I'm tell you, what you see right now, when you look at me, you don't see me. You know what you see? You just see the house that I live in. And I know it's a little too big. <laughs> We're working on that. But I can't wait till my wife has given her new body. Drop down a few verses. Therefore, we are always confident. There's two times this word confident appears. We are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Yeah, we're all confident about that. Uh, That's obvious. But then he goes on to talk about another confidence. We are confident, and I say and willing rather, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I have a question for you here today. How confident are you that when death comes, when you are absent, when the you leaves your earthly home. How confident are you that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord? How confident are you? Luke chapter 16. Again, I would love to read this whole passage. It runs to verse thirty-one. But this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And then there's people that come to you and say, "You know what, preacher? That's just a story. That's just a parable. That really didn't happen." Let me tell you something. It's more than a story. It's not a parable. Proper names are used, which were never used in parable. This is an actual event that happened. There was a rich man who was consumed in the affairs of this life. And there was a beggar by the name of Lazarus. And that, that beggar would beg for crumbs from the rich man's table. You could just see the rich man and all the food and all the plenty that he had. Just taking a few of the crumbs and throwing those crumbs onto the ground and seeing Lazarus take some nourishment from those crumbs and laughing at Lazarus. The Bible says that Lazarus was full of sores. And this rich man who had the capacity to minister to him and to love him and to take care of him and meet his physical needs was so consumed with self that the only relief that Lazarus had was when the dogs would come, and even the dogs would have compassion upon him, and the dogs would lick his sores. It was the only healing that this poor beggar had. But this poor beggar had something that the rich man didn't have. He had faith. He knew where he was going to spend eternity. The Bible said the day came when, like all of us, the grass withereth, the flower falleth away. Lazarus died. I want to tell you something. When Lazarus died, he was more alive than he had ever been. And the angels came and carried him off into... Abraham's bosom is shortly after that. You know the story. The rich man died. Lazarus goes to paradise. The rich man goes to hell. And between paradise and hell, there was this great gulf fixed so no one could pass between the two. And in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes and said, Father Abraham, would you send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue? I mean, stop and think about it. What could one little drop of water do? It would do a lot if you are in hell. Just dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Because I am tormented in this flame. Abraham said, it's impossible. We cannot pass back and forth from one place to the other. He said, then send Lazarus back from the dead. I have five brethren that he would tell my brothers not to come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, unless he hears Moses and the prophets, the word of God. Unless he hears the word of God, he will not believe the one returns from the dead. We are so caught up with this after-death experience and people coming back and telling us what it was like. I want to tell you something that tells us what it's like. It's right here in this book. Hell is a real place. All those false narratives that I mentioned to you when we started out. Do not take in consideration the truth of the word of God. Hell is a real place. There are 150 references to hell in the Bible. There are five references to the lake of fire. It's called a place of fire, hellfire, everlasting fire, furnace of fire, a fire that never shall be quenched, eternal damnation, where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, a place of torment, everlasting punishment, and utter darkness. That is just a brief description of hell. Hell. And they shall be cast, the unbelievers will be cast into a furnace of fire where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I've had the opportunity here recently to share the gospel with a now, I call him a young man. I mean, he's married and has children, but to me, he's young. I've had wonderful conversation with him. He's seeking the Lord. He's reading the scriptures. I have all the confidence in the world he's going to come to faith. But just recently, I sat down with him, and we'd only had conversation over the phone. I sat down with him. was talking to him personally, and he said, you know what? I'm going to tell you, Pastor, I'm not afraid to die. I said, you better be afraid to die. He said, no, I'm not afraid to die. I said, if you know what awaits you when you die, you would be afraid to die. If you're here today without Jesus Christ, if you will understand what awaits you when you die, you would be afraid to die. The Bible said, and fear not them which kill the body, and are not able to kill the soul. But fear Him which is able to destroy. Both soul and body in hell. You know why I got saved? Anyone here want to know what I got saved? Because I didn't want to go to hell. I was five years old. And I was presented with the reality of hell. In Bible school. You know now we have the CEF program. I thank the Lord for the multitudes of young people. That have been saved in CEF. But now because of lawsuits that have come against them, they now no longer can talk about hell as they present the gospel in the CEF ministry. Can't mention hell. Well, I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell. Who all their lifetime were subject to bondage and fear. Listen, I will never forget as a little boy, in my bedroom I had bunk beds. And I slept on the lower bunk, and on the top bunk often I'd throw my clothes. And as God was drawing me to salvation, understanding my need of Christ, it was late in the evening, and the street light was coming in my window of my bedroom. And I had thrown a pair of trousers up over my bed, and they were casting a shadow on the wall, and... I kind of woke up and I looked and it looked like someone was coming out of my top bunk to get me. And I remember running and jumping in between my mom and dad in bed. And I didn't get saved that night. I got saved the next day at Bible school. But I've been accused over the years of said, Well, you're just trying to scare people to get saved. Hallelujah. If I can scare you into the kingdom, I'll do whatever I can do to scare you into the kingdom. Fear is a great motivation to trust Christ. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. I am the door. By me if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And it shall come to pass, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. i got a question for you. Saved from what? From hell. From the wrath of God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold and suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Jesus said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. Listen to me here, church. We're almost done. God's wrath abides upon sin and the sinner. That's not a false narrative. That's the truth. Where there's wrath, praise God, there's an abundance of love. (laughs) Aren't you thankful for that? (laughs) That God's love meets His wrath. The Bible said, And some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. What are we doing when we bring the gospel to people? We're pulling them out of the fire. This is some of you here are headed to hell fire. And I am doing my best today with the help of the Spirit of God to pull you out of that fire. But listen to this, church. And others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, this is for you, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. You better make sure your life backs up your message. You can't have a life all filthy, filthy. With the pollutions of this world. And try to bring a pure gospel. To a lost and dying world. They're not going to believe you. (coughs) Who will have all men to be saved. And to come. To a knowledge of the truth. But they receive not the love of the truth. That they might be saved. Sad. 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 Don't leave here today rejecting the truth. Call upon the Lord. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Call upon Him. Embrace this amazing gospel. If there's one thing that you need to be confident about, it's where you'll spend eternity. Amen, church? You better be confident about that. Hebrews 10, verse 35 says this, and I'll close. It says, cast not therefore away your confidence. Here a few weeks ago, appreciate all your prayers for my sister. She's not feeling well. She tells her husband and daughter, you need to take me to emergency. This was on a Sunday. She goes into emergency. They do some testing, and they come back, and they tell my sister, you have four weeks to live. My sister lived three and a half weeks. And I had the privilege to conduct her funeral service. As soon as I could, I went up to be with my sister. She was there in her bedroom, or in her living room. And she had like a hospital bed chair that hospice had put her in. And I sat down by the side of my sister. and we reminisced and I held hands with her we prayed together and for six hours we just fellowshiped and she looked at me and she said Dan I'm afraid to die I said Rowena why are you afraid to die you, you know the Lord you love the Lord you've received as your Savior she goes I I don't know. I'm just. I'm. I'm afraid of this unknown. I'm. I'm afraid to die. And I hugged on my sister and I kissed her on the forehead and I got out my Bible. Let no man shake you away from your confidence in Christ. The devil was trying to do a job on my sister to take away those precious few moments that she still had in this life. And we confronted his lies with the truth of God's word and when we were done my sister looked up at me and she said Dan thank you I'm not afraid to die unbeliever here today get honest are you afraid to die I've told you before, I absolutely, and I I tell you this at the bottom of my heart, I have zero fear of death. I'm not looking forward to the process, but death itself has lost its sting in my life. Oh death, where is thy sting? No, No stinger left for me, because I am confident but this preacher of yours when he is absent from this body in a moment in a twinkling of an eye he's going to be present with the Lord Christian are you afraid to die? of course in the scripture that we Read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it ended with talking about the judgment seat of Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Judgment seat is right around the corner. Can you imagine standing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and giving an account of the things that you've done in this life, whether it be good or bad. Are you afraid to die? Is your name in the book of life? Whosoever's name was not found in the book of life was cast into a lake of fire. I'll I'll tell you what. that book is the most important book in all the world because if you're if your name if you're not confident that your name is in that book you may die and go to a Christless eternity I know my name is in the book of life And the Lord Jesus said, if our name is in the book of life, Revelation 3 5, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. That's in permanent ink. My name's in that book, and it'll always be in that book. And one day, the Lord's going to open the book of life, and my name's going to be there. And he's going to welcome me into his kingdom. Are you afraid to die? Don't you think it'd be a good idea if we did business with God today? Let's have every head bowed, every head closed.